0: On this episode of AV week the value of manufacturer specific training and remotely working in AV all that and more next on AV week
1: The network for the AV industry what are you listening to this this is AV
2: this this this, this, is, this is AV, AV nation. nation this is AV nation
0: this is is AV Week, episode 399, recorded Friday, April 19th, 2019. Universe of Technology.
2: Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box, and by Middle Atlantic, what great systems are built on, and by FSR.
0: This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, a young man who is geographically just north of me. His name is Jimmy Caldera. How are you, sir?
3: I am actually. You've called me young.
0: Well, you are relative
3: relative <laughs> to at least me and <laughs> Tucker, who is the
0: next guest. Oh. I am going to to introduce. Uh, he is the left hand side of my brain and a fine human being. Welcome back, sir. Uh, I'm glad to be back. I don't
1: know about the fine human being part, but thanks nonetheless.
0: You're one of the best New Yorkers I know. How about that? There you go.
1: <laughs> all I just think I just lost my Manhattan card. Well,
0: probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, last but not least, Dan Puccini. Uh, Dan is a consultant by way of Buffalo. Welcome, sir. Hello. Yes. Uh, thanks for joining us. Dan is is, is new to uh, to our Aviation uh, family, so just please be nice to him, you too. Uh, first uh, article we're going to take a, a stab out here uh, comes to us by way of AV Network. Crestron Masters 2019 took place uh, about a week and a half or so ago. I was able to to join them for a couple of days. And if you're not familiar with Crestron Masters, real briefly, it's three days at one location for about a thousand Crestron programmers. And, and they've added uh, designers and, and engineers to that mix as well, uh, started last year. Uh, but it's it's three days. It gives folks a multiple opportunities for different types of education some of it manufacturer specific some of its more you know overarching uh, standards and practices whether it comes to you know it they had a really good uh, dsp class they had one on uc design so they, it kind of goes the game you know, spans the spans the gamut of, of everything that crestron you know kind of has their hands in uh Jeremy, i want to start with you on this uh, what value uh does manufacturer training bring today uh, when it comes to you know, making sure that you and, and your programmers or, or your designers are kept up to date on not just what the manufacturer is, is bringing to market, but also what the underlying standards and the underlying technology is from that they're basing their designs on?
3: Well, I mean, for me, it's a, it's a huge value. Um, I mean, especially uh, companies like Crestron, right? If, if they're your main brand, right? And I'm using uh, anything from you know, not just video distribution and control, but anything from, anything from a management platform, right? I mean, I, I always want to know what the, what's the newest, what's the latest, what's the greatest, how am I going to interface with it, how am I going to manage it, how am I going to sell it? Um, and at the same time, my programmers um, and my design engineers, they, they need to know, you know, um, what, are, what are the best practices, right? What are the <clears throat> things like the masters are good because then they can interface with other people who are having the same challenges that they are, right? you can get the uh, feedback, the one-on-one, well, hey, why didn't this work for you? Have you had experience doing this? It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the, it's the flagship event, I'd say, of, of a, a Facebook user group, right? <laughs> Where everybody can kind of chime in and, and give their two cents from programmer to programmer, design engineer to design engineer. So for me, any manufacturer training, I think, is key. Um, I'm not a big fan of proprietary stuff in general. I'm, I'm a big proponent of open platform, open API, open everything, right, Uh, which a lot of people aren't, specifically most of the manufacturers. But, I mean, in in this case, uh, when they do events like this, I understand where they have to be manufacturer-specific, but I really do like it when they do events like this and they bring in uh, underlying uh, standards and and just everything else that goes with that. That that is more open and more, uh, you know, based on on, uh, technology standards as opposed to the Crestron standard, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, Mr. Tucker, you were with me a couple of years ago when I went, when we went last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, is the, the, what is the value here and, and what is you know not just uh, as Jeremy mentioned, you know the networking and being able to kind of help troubleshoot in one big giant um, group uh, of other uh, folks who are doing what you're doing on a daily basis, but also kind of making sure that these integrators and these programmers and designers are getting a hold of the underlying technology and, and standards that that they're basing this on.
1: Well, I think that's exactly the point. I, I mean, you know, truth be told, I was at Crestron for a number of years with the tech support department and, and other uh, uh, capabilities there. And the point that they were always hammering home and they had to learn very quickly, especially back in the early 2000s, was their universe is so comprehensive. It's covering everything. They're not just doing a few, say, video signal distribution or, you know, uh, automation of the TV. It is truly Everything. They encompass the universe of technologies, and not every integrator programmer understands all those concepts. And what these events are for is saying, let's take you to the next level, right? You can become a really good Crestron programmer in fairly short order. I mean, it takes a lot of work and understanding, but you can be really good at it. But understanding how the universe of, say, the shades work or the thermostats or how, you know, heating in a dual stage, three-stage heat pump system works with solar. You know, these things are really, really intensive. And what they teach at these seminars, not just how do I get better at programming a select active uh, uh, case issue, you learn how to integrate all of this new technology like the Fusion and what's it called? XIO, I think it's called now, They're cloud-based service systems where all that's going, those are the new frontiers, that IoT-centric type stuff that not every AV guy knows, and you earn that right by being really good at what you do and being dedicated and selling a lot of Crestron. <laughs> but it keeps you that interest to keep going. How do I learn more and how I make this something that's not just the rope and not just programming or putting in light switches, right? No, yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, Dan, th- last year, they, they started introducing um, consultants and, and designers into their 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 curriculum right they started inviting them up until 2018 it it had primarily been the domain of nothing but programmers for two or three days last year they started introducing consultants and and designers how important is is that as a consultant to be able to not only take classes from the manufacturer but also you know back to what jeremy said about the networking be able to you know talk with these folks on on a you know a much less um Pressurized environment than on the job. You're talking with these folks in between classes. You're talking to them in classes and kind of get their sense and their point of view uh, as you're designing systems.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's paramount to get uh, all that feedback. the The real value for it is as consultant is that we need to assure quality in our design and uh, the the execution part three of our specs and qualifications and, and part one typically. When a manufacturer hosts something, especially if it's gonna feed a certification uh, or set some kind of standard, those are huge. Because uh, you know, oftentimes we're, we're conveying an intent from an earlier moment in time because of the life cycle of construction. And when you get these manufacturer, that's why we tend to stick with certain manufacturers as well. When you get uh, these quality assurances, You know that when the intent is met by a a, a qualified integrator, that they're going to be able to deliver it independent of what's changed along the way. Uh, So sometimes just learning just to increase what I'm requiring out of an integrator, um, it's huge. Because otherwise, why why are you going with a consultant if I'm not assuring some of quality? And uh, performance specifications used to be, you know, SPL level, evenness through the room, or you could, you could do certain things to make it, you know, audio agnostic or something along those lines. But, but now the, the level of quality we really need to assure is much more user experience, much more user interface, much more user expectation. Uh, and quite honestly, the integrator that's awarded a job, and I'm thinking primarily for design bid build, Um, they're going to have a lot more face-to-face time with the user group. I might be on a project where the user group is not even identified yet. Um, It's that early sometimes. So being able to specify a minimum standard level for delivering a user interface is huge. And I need to know what everything can do. You know, conceptually big level. I don't always need to get under the hood. But understanding what what these hoops are that the the steps, the micro credentials, uh, the certifications, it, it's big. And it's not just I'm gonna throw a certification on it just so I can, you know, eliminate this response or it's not like that. It's it's really understanding, hey, when I put the certification in my, my bid, this is the level of quality I can expect out of this end product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that, that is actually one thing to, to be watching uh, as, as Crestron kind of makes this way, they're, they're this march towards uh, Infocom. Um, there was some talk about different certifications that they're also working on as well. So, t- so kind of pay attention into that. Uh, next story up comes to us from our friends over at Sound and Communication. Douglas Klieger writes about remote uh, work, honestly. Uh, he was, goes through a, a process here where he was looking for a, a new job, a new, a new position. And he actually lays the groundwork and arguing that the AV industry, one of the biggest uh, supporters and one of the biggest providers for remote work. Some of the things that we put in, whether that's you know, a Zoom license or it, we provide people with cameras and lights and making sure that everything um, works th- that way. But he says that he was having a difficult time finding work in his home state of Georgia for remote positions. And I, I want to read a quote here. Quote, unquote, if it's so great for others, why isn't it so great for us? Meaning uh, if we are, are you know, uh, kind of putting this out there and, and proselytizing the, the, the joys and the, and the great, greatness of a disparate workforce, why on earth are we not in the AV industry uh, doing it ourselves? Mr. Tucker, I'm gonna start with you because you had experience doing remote work as well as working um, in an office. Why, don't, why aren't there more uh, remote jobs in, in the AV industry?
1: Well, I think in the article, he points out some two main factors that go on, right? One is they want that collaborative environment within that human to human interaction, right? Which is a valid one. You're a team, you're sitting, you're talking, you're having lunch together. What comes up and how do you solve things? Again, when I worked for a manufacturer and I worked for a design install firm, those lunches on site or lunches at the office, they actually did generate that, hey, I'm working on this. We're all together. Let's talk. That's harder to do remotely because people tend to be distracted, just like any of those memes you see about a video conference, (laughs) who's doing what and who has to leave early because they really don't need to leave early and their technology doesn't really work, but it does, you know, and then there's mistrust. Are you really working? And that's a hard one and an easy one. Are you putting out the designs that you said you're supposed to do? And are you actually calling the clients that you do now? Look, I work remotely three days, four days a week now. But my boss does like me to be in the office two days a week for some meetings that we have scheduled for those two days. And those are remote meetings with other manufacturers and clients. But they're scheduled that way, but we're together collaboratively. And then the rest of the week, as long as I make my calls, I log my stuff and everything's going, then we're good. And I find actually, and I think the guy that wrote the article and I think others who do this know, I work longer hours when I'm at home, actually. Yes, I can get off and I can go do a few other chores or things that I need to do in the middle of the day, but then I'm working till 9, 10 p.m because I can, because I can just finish and then go to bed. I don't have to worry about travel. So yeah, I, I, you know, I find it as a worker really, really beneficial to do it, you know, but I can see a boss saying, I want you here. I don't want to talk on the phone. I don't want to have to text back and forth. You know, there's, there's both sides of it. I think they're wrong on the employer side. And as AV people, as he points out to not say, to not have some kind of remote worker program and something that we install for the Fortune 100, Fortune 500s, it's just ridiculous. It's just yeah. hypocritical.
0: Absolutely, Dan. Same kind of question. Why? Uh, why are there no not not as many uh, remote remote jobs in the AV industry?
2: So, well, my previous employer, I was working for an integrator, and, and there was no remote work allowed, and uh, they were predominantly uh, video conferencing uh, Polycom Gold Partner. And it, it,
0: okay, time out. Time out. You worked for somebody who was a gold polycom member putting in BC and, and, and collaborative systems, and there was no remote work
2: allowed. Okay. Where I am that. right now, company policy is you can work from home one day a week. Okay. Um, one of the main detractors that, that they say here, uh, and even at the previous job, is how, how are we going to best mentor and educate, train up the, the next generation. Um, so there, there's a real focus on that face-to-face uh, mentoring. And when you, you, know, you work in the open office environment, and um, you do get a lot, like when you're new, it's excellent to have everybody around you and be able to ask questions and, and be in that open environment. When you, when you have deadlines and you really uh, need to focus and concentrate and hammer something out, it is nice to to whether you're in the office or at home, but just get a quiet room and just you know bury your your nose in your work kind of thing. So it is it is a little hypocritical to not let everybody work remotely. Uh, I think it really depends on on what you're doing. Um, I'm working in an integrated practice now where we have architects, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, uh, specialty lighting serv- studio, and a lot of us are at a distance because we work across offices. So we are video conferencing a lot, uh, screen sharing a lot. And, yeah, there are a lot of cases where you could work f- from home. Um, they've had certain offices move to different locations or where their commutes are excessive. They let people do it two days a week. But I think the real reason why a lot of companies are hesitant to fully embrace it is their training program and their onboarding program, and they really rely on the people in the building to to be mentors and to, to push mentoring. So I'm hypocritical for not working as home as much. Uh, like like today, I, I just got a conference room here uh, just to not be in the open office and have everything going on behind me uh, for this call. So you can do that. And I try to, uh, when we're doing programming phase, I try to relay this to architects and to clients when they're laying things out and it's all open office, you still have to have these little, I don't care if you want to call them a a phone booth, you need a little video conference room, looks just like your desk, two monitors, a VDI up there, uh, a conference phone, uh, sound absorbing wall, you need that because people need to step out of it. Um, So I didn't really want to work from home as much when I had my nice little uh, acoustic uh, cubicle the walls went above my ears and all that I, I could work really well there now that I'm in an open office environment I might as well be at home. <laughs> you know with all the noise I leave work some days exhausted just from tuning out other conversations and trying to focus in on you know I, I wear a headset when I'm at my desk so I, I think the work from home it's kind of like how we're working in the office has shifted a lot too. So if you're working in an office where, you know, it's, it's very old traditional style, there's there's walls everywhere, there's tall cubes. They want you there because they know you can work there. But if they're not putting in that, that kind of isolation for you. A lot of people's homes are quieter and, and are more productive. And I do believe it. Uh, but you, you definitely lose a lot with the human element when you're collaborating on a project. You I know,
1: and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you, Dan. You know, there's, there's another element to this that we talk about a lot. And we've talked about on, on these shows before is the quality of life balance, mm. right? As audiovisual people, whether you work in the live staging and the events or in integration, a lot of these things are very late hours, right? Whether that's working till six, seven o'clock at the client's house and then having a one or two hour drive home. On the days that you don't need to, there's a quality of life. Like I said earlier, you can do some chores that need to be done. You can welcome the kids home and then get them settled and then go back to work. There's less of a stress on your worrying or having to go, God, when I get home, I got to do all this, right? That makes you t- more tired. That makes you more stressed. And having that freedom really does give you the impetus to work harder and do more because you're like, you know, I got everything done. I can actually finish this. I'm not exhausted from the day. I'm not a thousand things on my head.
0: Well, and I want to bring in, Jer- the reason I wanted to end with Jeremy on this, because Jeremy is an integrator. Uh, he has his own integration firm up in Beoria. Give me both sides of this, Jimmy, because you give me a side from, from kind of the owner and the manager side of why we should or shouldn't have remote workers in, in the AV industry.
3: Well, I am all over the board on this topic. Right? And I, <laughs> no, I, I, I cannot <clears throat> come up with what I feel is the right conclusion, even for our own company. right? So I, I, for me, this is mixed This is just such a mixed topic, and I think that no matter how many times I sit down and think about this topic, no matter what, it all comes down to the work ethic of the individual who wants to work remotely, right? Like, that's it. It always comes down to that, right? Because me, personally, I, you know, and it's generational. I'm not going to use the terms like millennial and X and all these other people like that. It's generational in that this company here that I'm at now, okay? A lot of the people that are here have been at this company for 25 years, right? And then I come in as the younger guy, the CEO, and I'm kind of mixing things up and doing things a little bit differently, right? I brought in a guy who's a remote guy. He's a remote worker. To them, blows their mind. How, how can, what does he, what does he do all day? You know, what, what is this guy doing? What are we paying him for? Right. But I'm seeing the results. These other people are not. Right. Well, he needs to be here, and like that generation, they are so in that old school AV mentality. Let alone the just office work environment mentality, they're never going to change. Okay. Uh, the younger generation, like early twenties now, and even up to thirty, right? They're like, "Well, do I have to be in an office?" Like they, are the exact opposite. And I mm. think that I'm kind of stuck right in the middle. Right. In a, in a, as a whole, and me personally, I knew that ten years ago, I never wanted to work from home. Right. I wanted to work in an office because I knew that I would start watching something on history channel. and I wouldn't get my crap done. Right. Like it just, it wouldn't happen. Right. I, I'm easily distracted now. Not so much because now to George's point, I, I really like being able to, welcome the kids home do some stuff and I'll work the extra hours and I feel bad being at home like I feel like I need to work longer right so it, it comes down to just what's the work work ethic of the individual right and so you need to be able to identify that when you're hiring remote workers and in my case the guy that I hired I worked with previously at another job so I knew how he operated how he worked I knew he'd be fine as a remote worker um it's kind of a crapshoot when you're hiring new people and interviewing because you really don't know um I personally prefer the guys to be in the office a lot. I mean, if you want to work from home, you got personal family stuff you got going on, you want to go, do, fine. I, I really don't care. But as long as you're here for those collaborative meetings in those environments that I need to have, right? And, and if I've got manufacturers coming in or if I've got clients coming in or if i got to go bring you to a site or do something, we, we, we need to be here, right? Um, so it's kind of 50-50. And like I said, I'm kind of all over the board on that uh, as to what my decision is on remote workers. I couldn't see all of my employees doing it. I think it would drive everybody else here. You know, My office secretary staff, for example, would go crazy that she's paying everybody and, and has no idea where everybody's at, right? But um, you know, not everybody can do it here uh, because we do need that collaborative work environment, but it can be suited to some people. So you just have to have that open mind and that open mentality to it. For us, it works out with the right people. But I, you know, at my last job, we had a couple of people who wanted to work remote and it didn't work out and they kind of ruined it for everybody, uh, which was really disappointing, you know? So um, y- from a management perspective, you have to make sure you don't take that approach necessarily too. Um, yeah, but, I mean, that's kind of the gist of it, at least how I operate things here.
1: Jeremy, I, I, well, I had a quick question to me, if you don't mind. Jeremy, from an economic point though, you're not gonna pay some remote workers nearly as much Because they don't have to factor in, say, travel and commuting. Is there an economic argument for or against, in your eyes, for having a remote worker?
3: Uh, You know, uh, yes, I I think that I, I mean, I do my pay scale based on what you bring to the table as far as experience and education and certification and you know, just all in all, what you're going to bring, right? You know, and I I reward our employees with pay increases based on merit. I don't do like annual raises or things like that. You you show me what, how good you are and what certifications you want to further yourself and get better. And that's, that's how I pay you more money, right? Fortunately, now in this case, my one remote worker uh, has a company car you know, so, but he's doing a lot, he does, he's sales too. So he does a lot of sales calls and, and whatnot. So for him, that's, that's fine. But when we need to collaborate, he's in his office at his house and he's doing stuff and he's helping the kids. And, you know, there's been a few times where he had to jump off a call to go do something with the kid and it was fine. He came right back on and he works late. It's great. You know? Um, but I, I don't know that I would necessarily pay them less for being a remote worker. I, it, you okay. know, cause, cause me hmm. it's, it's, it's the job and the tasks that I'm, asking you to perform not necessarily the where am i asking you to perform it right because i still have i mean we're still going to have costs for facilitating uh zoom licenses and whatever else i got to do to facilitate and 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 you know dropbox accounts and whatever else to to you know make that work at home to be very smooth when collaborating remotely with everybody else here so there's some expense it may not be as much granted like gas and all that other stuff like that but I mean, like I said, it, it's based on a trade and a skill, not necessarily a, a location. So. I if,
2: think if you're traveling a lot, too, for a job, if you primarily travel a lot, at least on the days you travel, it makes sense to work from home. If you have a flight to catch in the afternoon, why are you going into the office for four hours or three hours? You,
3: right. You the but well, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier, too, when you said it, like, even if you're in the office... And we don't always have this, right? Because a lot of offices, you don't get your own office. Like, you know, I mean, I'm fortunate enough I do. I'm the CEO, though. Yay. No one else at my company has a closed door. Like, has a door they can close. I think my programmer does. You know, I think we got him one, right? But even when I was doing design full-time, right, and I had, and I wanted to just get a project done, right, I needed a door, right? I had to shut a door. And if I didn't get that, I wanted to go work from home. That was a case where I wanted to go home because, you know, the kids were at school, uh, you know, the dog, you can send it, you know, put him in the crate or whatever, and he's good. And I can just focus and do my job, right? If I'm at the office, I can close my door, put a do not disturb sign on the outside and do my job. I need that kind of space to kind of just drill down and focus. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, I think that's critical too, you know, in either way, home or office. I mean, you, you yeah, so it, to, it's it, more about the focus space. It could be either. Yeah, like, well, well, it, it. It, it's not part of the topic, but it kind of is because you were talking about, oh, open office space environments, right? So what's really interesting is, um, I see this a lot, a lot of our clients, and, and, and you know, Caterpillar is one of my clients down here, and they've got a really big open office environment downtown here in Peoria, and uh, they moved away from cubicles to an open workspace, and now they're moving back to the cubicles, right? Because they're finding that some of the, they did the open space for collaboration, but they're finding that it only works for certain teams, not for everybody, right? Because everybody else would never they would always start working from home because they needed that quiet and that that space. Like you said, you're you're drowning out the noise, right? So um, what they found was by putting in open office space environments, more people wanted to work remotely and work from home, but they needed to be there for the type of collaboration that they were doing. So it's finding that happy mix and that happy balance between uh, doing corporate rollouts of what types of conference spaces you need as an end user and as a client what's the balance? What do I need? Do I need all open office? Do I need closed door? Do I need conference rooms? Do I need private suites? Like how how does all that work? And that does in some ways relate to the remote worker or can trigger, you know, up and down the amount of people that you have remote working. So it was just interesting that you brought that up because I've actually seen that firsthand where that's kind of gone gone hand in hand with each other.
2: I I hear a lot of programming stuff. They they don't often listen, but I I tend to, um, when they come to hoteling, it, where that's that thing where the office is so open and you're not even in the same spot every day you have a a bin or something where you put your stuff in and you, you pick whatever station's available i think for your primary workstation i'm i'm not a huge fan of that if i had to personally work like that but i do off, often suggest to programming teams when they're laying out you know what's a building what's in a building what's going to be where that you have hoteling for these quiet concentration rooms whether it's a uh, you know, four people at a video conference table to work as a, a group remotely or to just work as a group, the four of them together, uh, whether it's just a single little, I call it a phone booth, um, I think the hoteling concept needs to be applied to these quiet spaces. And that's what can enable remote work as well, because your, your quiet concentration space can really be anywhere. You're trying to be alone to concentrate. Uh, that those times where you really have to get a deadline out or really have to concentrate on something. I think it's, it is appropriate to work from home. You have the deadline. If you're hitting your deadline and that's how you're getting it done, that's really important. Uh, the times where you don't have to be that intense, there is a real value to being there to, to mentor other people or to, to do.
3: It's it's funny when you say the deadline thing, because I've thought about that and I had that mentality when I was not, an executive manager of a whole bunch of people where it was, okay, I hit my deadline. So I'm good. I got this extra free time now, but now as a manager, I'm like, okay, you hit your deadline. That means you got this many more hours in the day to do something else for me. <laughs> well, <know>? yeah. <laughs> but there's, I gotta be that happy balance, right? Of, of, because it comes down to work life balance too. And, and you need to understand that because that's going to be key with any of your employees work life balance. If you want to keep and maintain that workforce absolutely i didn't mean you hit a deadline and you stop i, I there's
2: always more than one project no, but
3: i've had that happen before where people have been like oh, i hit my deadline i get the rest of the day off you know what i mean so
2: yeah it's, and then that's where you said you know it really comes down to who you're interviewing who right you're hiring. exactly
3: it's the work ethic of the person that you're that you're hiring to do that yeah, yeah absolutely
0: all right guys that is actually going to do it uh for, for this episode thank you all so much uh mr jeremy caldera thank you how do people get a hold of
3: you uh is technology.net or uh on on the twitter thing is jeremy underscore caldera uh, usually that's just a lot of uh bacon posts with chuck and and stuff with luke that has to do with cts stuff but you can get me there as well so
0: yeah chuck espinoza and from avixa and and uh, uh, uh mr T- mr tucker uh thank you sir how do people get a hold of you
1: Uh, I'm at Tucker Twos and uh, at Infocom I will be teaching a class on assistive listening, assistive services, captioning, and implementing those in theaters and public spaces. So if you're interested. you
0: know when that class is?
1: Uh, It's the Wednesday of the before. I don't know the exact date.
0: If you you register for uh, for, uh, Infocom and type in Tucker, I'm sure you can find him.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And Dan, thank you, sir. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, How do people get
2: a hold of you? That's uh, D-B-U-C-C-I-N-I at canondesign.com. There's two N's in the middle of Canon. Uh, I'm sure if you looked up Canon and you started talking AV, it would eventually come to me anyways. All right, very good.
0: Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters. Uh, at this point, I'm crossing my fingers that the Blues can get out of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, but go by the website, if you would, please. avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, uh, please check out our supporters. These are folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and all the other programs that we've rolled out uh, here recently and the ones we've had been going on for quite a while. Also, while you're there, uh, check out our Infocom coverage, which is only about six, uh, not quite uh, two months away. Uh, You can register for our annual uh, gathering, our tweet-up. happens June 12th from 4 to 6 p.m., so you can register for that there. Uh, And you can also join us next month for our next webinar on AV over IP technology and the specs you really need to pay attention to. So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week.